2: What's up, Geeky Pressers? This is Brad King. I am your host of the Downtown Writers Jam podcast. Today I got something a little bit different for you. So in the last episode, I interviewed a friend of mine, Vicky Tobak, who recently put out a book called Contact High: Visual History of Hip Hop. It's an amazing book. And an amazing interview. You should go back and listen to it. But I first met Vicky way back in 2001, when I was doing uh, what was then just an audio download show, but today we call it podcasting, with a guy named Ken Rakowski and a guy named Brian Zisk. And we did this show every Friday for about a year, 18 months, um, at Ken's house. Ken has gone on, he had been at CNET Radio, and he's gone on and he's had radio shows all over the country. Um, Brian Zisk has gone on, he was a sort of entrepreneur, venture capitalist, advisor. And I was at Wired. And I was actually doing two shows, two audio shows at Wired. I'd gone to George Shirk, who at the time was the editor-in-chief at Wired, um, and Allison McAndre, who was the sort of executive producer. And I'd I'd been covering digital entertainment for about three years, so Napster, like all the file trading stuff. um, And I'd was good at it, and, but I was also kind of bored with it, and I was like, we're doing digital entertainment, but we're just writing about it, so it'd be great if we could do some kind of audio or video, but it just, there wasn't, the bandwidth wasn't there for us to build a business model around it, and I said, well, let's, let me just play around and see if we can't come up with something and see what happens. I knew nothing about audio, nothing about video, um, many would say I knew very little about writing, but I didn't give a shit. And I just said, like, I wanted to really do this. So we had a producer there named Jeremy Barna, um, who has since passed away, uh, who had come from a place called Quaka Sports. And Quaka had been this, I used to make fun of him on the show all the time. It was this company that was trying, they, like, they would do the um, sailing races, the America's Cup, and they would set up cameras all over the boat. So you could literally watch what was happening in like a 360 view, which today we think is amazing. But in 2001, 2000, 1999, like there just wasn't bandwidth. So it was just like a disaster. But Jeremy was really good with, um, you know, producing audio and video like he was just sort of immersed in that. So George let Jeremy and I go and try to figure out what we wanted to do. And one of the things that we did was a fucking disaster. We did a daily, like, three-minute news show. George had this idea that, like, we would just go in if something happened and, like, flip a switch, and we would talk about what was going on in the news that day. And I was not very confident back then, so I felt like I had to write everything out. And as it turns out, I'm actually not very funny uh, when I write. I'm a pretty good storyteller. not very funny when I write. So I was trying to write all these things that were just fucking cringeworthy and terrible, and we abandoned that pretty quickly because um, even I didn't want to listen to it. But we did this interview show. I did, like, a 30-minute interview show. Well, it, it could be whatever length it was, but I generally didn't like to, like, harass people. And we I got, like, Grandmaster Flash and Scott Bakula, um, all kinds of really cool... Like, Bakula, when he was getting ready to, to be the captain, you know, Captain Archer on Enterprise. Uh... And just, like, really cool shit. Like, we just sort of did whatever we wanted to do. And I had been doing that for about six months when Ken and and uh, had approached me about doing this show called Speculations. And it was through that that I met Vicky. She came on about, I think, a year into the show because Ken, Brian, and I were, like, bored of talking to each other. And, like, we had guests, like, we had all, you know, big-name people that would come in because Ken sort of both knows everybody and knows how to get to everybody. So that was, a, like, we had, you know, we, that was an hour-long show. I had the half-hour show that we did um, once or twice a month. But it was, as I was talking to Vicki, she was like, you were one of the, you know, early people doing this kind of stuff when you were at Wired, which is a thing that I don't really think about, right? Because I, I sort of left all that behind, like, when I went to MIT um, and was the producer and editor for MIT Technology Review's website, you know, when I worked for Jason Ponton, we didn't really focus a lot. Jason really wanted to do video, and I am not really a video guy. And so much of the video stuff that we were producing was, like, animated stuff or documentary-style things. Like, So I there wasn't a reason as a journalist for me to be involved in that. So I bring this up because as Vicky talked to me the other day, I was like, oh, shit, yeah, like, we did do some cool stuff 17 years ago, right? And over the years, Jeremy Barna, before he um, passed, he and I would uh, connect in the late evenings, like not all the time, you know, three or four or five times a year when things were, for whatever reason, like we had spent so much time in the studio that even though all this time had passed and we had never really been what you'd call friends in the studio, like at Wired, we befriended each other after. And, you know, you get older and life starts to happen and you begin to form these relationships with people who went through um, periods of time with you. And I think for both of us at Wired, like, we were there at the beginning of the dot-com boom in, like, 99, 2000. Um, We were, for a while, you know, it was my first real job. I'd worked at some small weekly newspapers and stuff. But, like, suddenly you got a million people a day reading stuff that you're putting out there And, you know, it was overwhelming and you're doing TV and radio and it was just, it was looking back on it. I think both of us were ill-prepared for that, for the amount of um, fame is not the right word because none of you know who I am. And if you do, it is not through that, right? Like there are some people that, it's been, who will have the legacy wired thing. But it's been long enough that, like, that's not really a thing. And so... uh, But we had gone through that together. And so as the years went by, you know, we sort of did what men do, which is reconnected and like, you know, we would talk into the night, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, just sort of sharing the things that the damages that were in our lives now um, and reminiscing about the fun times that we had before and like that bond. And so I asked him, I was like, do you have do you have all the old shows? Like, I'd really love to have the old shows. And, you know, he was a, a digital pack rat, so he had, you know, just terabytes of storage. And he's like, I don't really know where any of this stuff is. But I was like, I at least go back. I really wanted Bacula, which we didn't, which you didn't, you know, find. And I really wanted Grandmaster Flash, which he didn't find. And um, I uh, interviewed Chuck D, which I really wanted. But the first one he found, and the one that I'm actually the 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 i'm happy that he found was the interview that i did with george carlin which seems fitting into the downtown Riders jam podcast because i got to interview him at the time this this interview was uh february 21st 2001 i think and i got to fly down to la and 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 hang out with uh carlin right which is like amazing um and he had he had signed a deal with Laugh.com, which you know was trying to become sort of this comedy portal. And like who do you go to, right? You go to George Carlin. So I fly down I go into his office. It's this little office, like he has an assistant out front, and it's just basically like two rooms, right, in this building. You not at all what you would expect. Or what I, I didn't expect. I don't know what the fuck I thought. Like he was gonna be in a mansion or something. So we go in, like, sit down, and um, this is who he was, right? Like, he's like, do you want a, a Coke? There's a, like, soda machine down the hall. And I'm like, oh, yeah, thinking, like, I will go get a Coke or his assistant will go get a Coke. And he stands up and pulls the dollar out of his pocket and walks down the hall and buys me a Coke and brings it back and hands it to me. And, you know, I'm like, fuck. Like, okay. Like, you are the you are exactly who I thought you would be, Right. So we get to talking, and I was like, before... The, the reason that this interview was so important um, was because... And I this is maybe the only time that I ever did this. And I said, George, before we get started, I have to tell you something. Um, and we had... By the way, uh, we had met the night before uh, at um, the comedy store uh, with some of the Laugh.com people. Not met, but like we, I was at a table with them for like a little while. So the next day when I'm interviewing, I'm like, George, I got to tell you, like, I am very rarely starstruck, but you have been an important part of my life from a very early age. My father loves you. And, um, you know, so I listened to all of your albums and I, you know, anything you wrote, I read and any TV show you did, I watched and, you know, it was sort of like a bonding point for my father and I. Um, who, for whatever reason, seemed to think that what you said and how you said it and who you were were important, right? And so that was meaningful to me. And, uh, you know, he, like, how the fuck do you respond to that? He he says, you know, Brad, I hear a version of that all all of the time. Um, And he didn't say that. It was with complete humility that he said that. Like, um, he said, I realized my life wasn't my own when I was doing the New York Times crossword puzzle and I was an answer. Like, how the fuck do you live a life where you are an answer, you know, to the, to the crossword, New York Times crossword puzzle? And how do you do that and maintain any sort of reality of who you are? So he gets up and goes across the room. And uh, I think the paperback version of Braindroppings, one of his books, is either a galley copy or he just had some around. And he goes in and fucking signs a copy of the book to my dad. And I told him, like, my mom and dad had sold their condo, and they had bought an RV, and so for, like, the last seven months, they'd been traveling the country. I'm like, they'll be through L.A. soon. So he (laughs) writes his number down and puts it in the book. My dad and Carlin are about the same age. Carlin may be a little bit older than them. He's like, have them call me when they get into town. Now, you do not know my parents, uh, but you know your parents, and there was no fucking way that I was going to let my father and mother call George Carlin. Uh, In fact, I didn't tell him that for a long time because if he would have done something like that to me, I'd have been like, well, give me the goddamn number, right? Like, I'm not going to embarrass you. But I just, like, I don't know if George Carlin knows. My family has a rule. Like, if you ask us to do something, the joke is we will say, are you sure? Because if you say, like, hey, come over whenever you want to come over, we will do that. And so if you are being polite, your shit may end up in trouble because we'll be there, right? So threw it away, gave him, you know, gave my dad for Christmas the signed Brain drappings book. And it was like, that was the, probably the best present that I've ever given him. So all of that is to say, that was a very specific time in my life that I don't think about a whole lot. I think about Wired and I sort of think about how my writing career sort of You know, I did lots of ups and downs and more downs than ups. And I threw away more opportunities than most people rightfully would ever have. Um, And so as Jeremy and I talked and he sent me like that was the one. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in divine providence. But it is. I am thankful that of all of the shows that he found, it was the Carlin one, because that's the one when I think about what I'm doing this show and why I wanted to do this show and why I wanted to interview writers was that. So I'm going to, in just a minute, you're going to hear that 30-minute interview. Uh, You should know it's a fucking terrible interview. George Carlin is amazing. I am an idiot. Um, I, I did not know what I was doing. As I recall, I asked, like, three questions, and then he talked for, like, you know 26 minutes, which is, you know, you want to hear... Him and not me but I did not like. I I was just going to let him do whatever he wanted Which is a terrible way to conduct an interview Right Um, To just let somebody talk No matter how interesting they are So I wanted this special edition of the Downtown Writers Jam to be One of the first interviews I did with maybe The best writer that I ever actually Got to meet And that's George Carlin
1: It's Friday, February 23rd, and you're listening to Wired News Radio. I love words. I thank you for hearing my words. I want to tell you something about words that I, uh, I think is important. I love, as I say, they're my uh, work, they're my play, they're my passion. Words are all we have, really. You know the seven, don't you, that you can't say on television? Today we're talking to one of the most influential voices in comedy and in culture. For more than a generation, George Carlin has tested the sensibilities of middle class America and pushed the boundaries of free speech and thought, not only in broadcast, but in society as well. Today he continues that tradition online at Laugh.com, where in fact he can say the seven dirty words. We started off by talking a little bit about what exactly Laugh.com
3: is. Laugh. dot com. We uh, hope, and, and, I, and I think there's a good chance this is, uh, this is a reality. Would be the um, the premier uh, comedy destination, if you will. I, I'm going to use '90s lingo <laughs> that I'm not comfortable with occasionally because code is good, and sometimes it's the best code available. But uh, it will definitely be. Um, I think one of the richest sources for a comedy in in a number of forms on the internet Um, the uh, the chance to hear uh, and see it through video and audio streams or or whatever comedians who uh, range from uh, guys from the early days, you know, the Milton Burles of the world and Red Buttons and Buddy Hackett's of the world, down to new people, Uh, and and I'm kind of in the middle of all that. I'm kind of, well, somebody once said I was the elder statesman of the new wave, which (laughs) is a nice way to think of yourself, Uh, but uh, it it would be a source of um, uh, jokes, routines, uh, the ability to buy CDs that are produced for and by Laugh.com by some of the comedians who are uh, involved in other ways. Uh, I, I don't know that each, I'm not clear on this, if every comedian uh, they have as part of their family has his own page, but certainly a lot of them will, yeah. and I know I do, and it will mirror uh, pretty closely my own page, my, my separate webpage. page. Is so, that georgecarland.com? Yeah, yeah, and that is now in the process of its first major overhaul. Yeah and, and rebuilding. It's actually really funny. I love that. Great. <laughs> Thank you. Well it's been neglected because um I, I just I've had a lot of other things in front of me, and I've slowly come into the um, the using the internet to some limited degree and having a familiarity with it, and the need to now go ahead and, and make this site active. I mean, really active, and to maintain it, to yeah. get in there and, and really maintain it. That's something else we can talk about in, in another sense. But um, that's what Laugh.com is—a uh, place for uh, you know the, everything from the joke of the day to, to digging Henny Youngman's old album out and, and ordering it or listening to parts of it or seeing Henny. There'll be video and audio. You know, I wish I could speak more uh, intelligently to some of these with some of these terms. You because yeah. I'm I'm a baby on the internet and, and in the digital world. But uh, that's about what it is. I think that's really. Is it hard to sell? I mean,
1: obviously, there's been a big stink going on in the music industry with yeah. can you steal stuff and and, yeah. and you know what's going to happen with that? Is there any concern that that what you put up on this site is going to hurt people coming out or buying your albums or anything like that? Or is this really?
3: Just a different medium for you to get to people. Yeah, you see, now, uh, if you want to talk about that thing, um, I, I, I don't know the technical legal side mm-hmm. of the answer to your question, but I know the, the general answer. And that is, anytime, I understand that a lot of the music that is downloaded by people for free stimulates their CD sales, or at least stimulates CD sales to some degree. Yeah. So. I think every time a person is exposed to your work you're an artist you know you're an entertainer too but you're an artist and every time uh, someone is exposed to your work it's good for you because it's just that much more information they have and some more stimulus for them to go and find you in other forms or formats or or locations so I think it doesn't hurt in that sense in terms of uh, the meeting, you want to talk about? Is that part of our our segment here? Is, is the, we'll talk about whatever. Okay, <laughs> because I only recently realized. I mean, let me tell you a little history about me digitally, okay? And I'll even get a little prehistoric here <laughs> uh, to tell you my own uh, aptitudes and inclinations on this. Uh, first of all, when Wired magazine uh, first came out, I was offered you know six months free, and it's so cool looking, you know, it's a visually such an, an adventure. But I said, oh yeah, yeah, send me that. And then I realized after a few months I wasn't reading it because it was full of things i either a didn't need to know about or didn't uh it was above my head over my head and, and mostly areas that that didn't involve aspects of my life so i let it i let that lapse but uh, that that's a, me- a kind of a metaphor for or at least it's an, ex- an explanation an introductory explanation for my own uh, involvement with technology i in in the in the 1950s i was in the air force i was 17 when i went in and i was trained um to fix what was called the k systems bomb navigation system on b47s there was no triad then they didn't have the nuclear submarines they didn't have the missiles in the silos they only had the b47 It was the sole thing and uh, its its whole function was to go long distances and drop bombs on people and um i was one of the people who was maintaining that that system. The, 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 the B-47 was just a platform for the bomb delivery thing. So we had analog computers. We had a navigation computer, a bombing computer, and um, a tracking computer, which were to solve the bombing problem and solve the flight problem, <laughs> navigation problem. And we also had a, a periscope, a, a vertical periscope for bombing on nice days. And we had <laughs> a radar, two different sets of radar. And all of these things were integrated into the bomb navigation system. And I was a maintenance person on that. When I went through school for it, I had the highest score ever in that school, and they wanted me to stay as, a, as a, an instructor, but I wanted to be out in the line so uh, that I have a great aptitude for data flow, and I really understand it and like it. But I didn't care much for safety wiring black boxes into planes and shit and the, and the hardware part. So um, I come to the digital thing open. I'm not a Luddite, but I'm, I'm certainly wa- I'm wide open to technology and always have been. I, I wire all my own stereo at home and everything. But there are things that technology is producing that I don't need. A lot of things I don't need and I don't want. I'm still tactile, and I still like analog. I, I like pieces of paper stuff They're very useful when you're a writer. (laughs) And so I come, my wife bought me uh, some years ago, 10, 12, I don't know how long, a Panasonic word processor. No, uh, not a computer, obviously. But I learned you could move large pieces of text around. And I found that it qualitatively changed my writing, not just the quantity of speed and so forth and efficiency, but it made me, I could see more of the work at one time, and I would use two or three machines, I would, I would have about six pages up at the same time and be able to look and reference things without scrolling and opening up something. So uh, I found it very useful for me as a writer and a file saver. I have sixteen I have 1681, last time I made my little zip disk, 1681 separate files of material and things and ideas and thoughts and categorize because my left brain is very active. Yeah. Too. I really love categorizing and indexing and putting things in order. So so I, I come to the t- technology table only eating the things that I need to nourish myself with. Uh, if, if a cell phone can, and can, uh, you know, I, I don't care about email. I don't like a lot of people. I don't want to hear from a lot of people. I, and I'm talking about friends and shit. I, I, I have trouble when I come home and the answering machine on the telephone says three messages. And I think, oh shit. I listen to three people. You know, and I like people one-on-one. Uh, on, one on one. I don't like them as a group. So uh, um, So where I'm at with this is I'm just a baby on the internet now. I know how time-consuming it can be it can rob you of your time that you really want to spend writing. So I'm careful about things. I'll go to the New York Post sports pages in the morning, or I'll get um, I'll get a story or a column I want from last week's New York Times, or I'll look up suicide statistics if I'm writing a humorous piece, or i or star starch out if there's this skull of an alien on a on the side. I want to see that. I have astronomy sites. I have certain things I like and I do, but I don't let it boss me. I kind of like use it really as a tool. So I'm just new getting into it but now i'm really fired up about laugh.com let me tell you why it sounds like a pitch it is because i just realized recently it's a medium of expression too it's not just a reference tool it's not just a filing system and which in my limited uses it's a way for me to say things to express myself in a medium that that has flexibility and timeliness that doesn't exist anywhere else uh, I have never done topical material because I don't like it. I think it makes you sound like everybody else. But I, there are often things I think about, about the president or something that's happening in the world. And I do have a funny thought about it, but I have no medium for it. Because yeah. my shows are, are are geared to HBO every two years. Yeah. So now we're going to have on com on my particular page, there's going to be a, 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 not, a, a not quite daily thought. Because I don't want to pin myself to yeah. 365 of them. But, uh, you know, five a week a weekly idea, a monthly thing, and I'll eventually learn how to get in the back door and change the text ones myself, yeah. but there'll be audio streams that I do one a yeah. weekly, there'll be videos, bites and things. Uh, I'm really going to get to use this for a lot of the material that never gets used, because I do HBO shows every two years, that's 60 minutes, that's all I can pump out and give people of me, of my shit, is 60 minutes, and then we make a CD out of it, yeah. every two years, now, then I discovered the book in 1997, it's, oh, there's a way to actually write things
1: yeah. and send it to their house. I, we've got to stop right here, okay. and then uh, we'll be back. In just a second, but I want to get into into this is a delivery meeting. Okay, Um, we're talking here with George Carlin. Um, We'll be back in just a
0: second.
1: listening to Wired News Radio, a daily on-demand production that goes beyond traditional technology coverage. Wired News Radio delivers an in-depth, informed insider's perspective on how technology is affecting business, culture, and politics. Tune in each day for news headlines, reporter notebooks, Wired profiles, and audio rants. Turn on, tune in, and participate each day by following up in our discussions in the message boards at plastic.com or by simply writing to us at newsradio at wired.com. Okay, we're back here with George Carlin uh, of laugh.com and, and also social commentary, I don't know, social critic, I don't know what, how, how you, pain in the ass. In the ass. Uh, and we were just getting into the internet as a delivery system because I think that um, it is interesting now that that there's a new way for for you and for everybody to communicate with people. It's obviously a different medium when I'm sitting down and looking at a computer than it is when I'm listening to a CD or reading a book right. or seeing you live. Uh, how is that? How do you see this change? Because obviously, when you started Seven Thirty Words and yeah. things that you couldn't do on right. television and broadcast before, now everybody can do it. Yeah. I mean, that's what we can. We could just say them all down in yeah. here and put it up on the site. Right. How's the, how's this medium changing
3: what it is you do and giving you new opportunities? Well, the the, the the problem with the timing of our interview right now today is that we're just this site is going up March twenty sixth, mm-hmm. and I. I will grow into it and I will learn how to use it the the same question six months from now I would give you a much richer (laughs) answer but my my sense of it is first of all the timeliness the fact that I can that day I can go uh, I can I can um, I can look at the morning newspaper or something on the Today Show and I can have a comment about it a a paragraph or two that can be on the page uh, that morning uh, that day, if I'm if, I, if I'm in the beginning of this and someone else is having to put yeah. it on there for me, it'd be that day. But I mean, I can comment on things that I couldn't even bother with. This 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 is a whole outlet for me as a, as a creator, as a writer, content provider, <laughs> that I can I I can use raw materials that are just usually in the barn. this yeah. isn't In the fucking barn. Well,
1: and I'm looking at the 1,600 files that you said you had yeah. stored. I mean, yeah. it seems like there's a way that people can access. Obviously, you're not just going to dump it all online. Right. But right. It seems to be a way that you be able to, to put this up and people who love you and people that, that are, are interested in what you have to say
3: and think you're funny people like me um, can go and get things that they would have never had access to that's before. right and because their text and I'm talking that about that aspect of it in this particular moment because I can archive text uh you see, what happens is I, I write a piece for my show on HBO, and I want it to be about uh, from, from three to eight minutes most. And um, and yet my file, if I were to uh, if, there, if there were a magic way to uh, snap your fingers and have my let's say my file on religion, if that were boiled down into all things I could uh, deliver verbally. Uh, I might have an hour, an hour and a half's worth. Maybe let's call it an hour. But I couldn't do that hour and sustain interests, sustain laughs, have any rhythm, have any texture to the show. But I can put up any paragraph out of that that stands alone and, and I can have and that will work because this is a medium of that nature and it's not even like even in a book you have to have some kind of form there has to be kind of like a beginning a middle a little, and then there has to be some some structure and so forth. they want to shape the bunk but this is scattershot this is like just shooting a shotgun as long as each pellet is, is perfectly formed for its purpose that is to be read by the eye yeah. then you got then you can just shoot the shotgun at the sandwich and you can get 30 things up in, in a week that that never would get used otherwise and some of them can be semi-serious. They don't have to have a big punchline in them because they're not verbal, they're not vocal. So they're reading. They're, people digest different ways when they read than they digest when they hear things. So it's just, uh, to me, it's very exciting because uh, people in show are always excited about something. I'm very excited about this project. <laughs> very excited about working with him. I was very excited about the opening. Anyway, I'm very excited about this because my work excites me, and I am an artist. I mean, there's an entertainment aspect to it, but I found out about 10, 15 years ago that what I was really doing was what the writer does, and that is interpreting the world through my prism. And here is another wall to shine that light on. You know, a yeah. light is—I use it advisedly here. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of darkness. Yeah. So, but these shapes and shadows. Now I have another, another place, and and the best, the most flexible place of all. Yeah. And as you say. As yet, see, I'm a cautious man. As yet, unregulated. Yeah, you, we we just know that there's going to be some big movement at some point from some world body, to to. But they, but it's very hard. I'm mean, obviously yeah. I, I'm I'm talking like a baby on this. It's very hard um, technically to rein this in. Yeah, and and the outrage, you know, you'd have you'd really have to cause for some deaths here. You're seeing actually there there are some. We don't need to get into that because
1: nobody yeah. cares. Uh, what. Well, People like us care. But, yes. uh, I mean, you, you are starting to see some of that regulation. Um, but how important do you think, I mean, obviously, I, your stance would probably be that it's important to keep it unregulated and to keep yeah. And the more, the less regulations that we have, the better. Always in life. Um, why? I mean, and this seems to be the only place that we can, I and mean, everything else is regulated. Yes. And this is like sort of the last bastion right. of hope that we have. Uh, how does that affect, or does it affect? Because right now, if you search for any of the... The seven dirty words. More than likely, you're going to come up with porn sites. Yes, um, true. And so it makes it very difficult to stand out in a world where everything yeah. is is out there and everything is free. How does that affect, or how do you see it affecting how you create, or will it will it bother you at all? Because yeah. you'll be just another one of these voices out there.
3: No, uh, what the advantage I have from my standpoint is. Uh, a 40-year uh, relationship with my segment of the public. It goes beyond the people who, who care enough to buy a ticket or buy a book or a CD. They know, there are people who don't care for me who still know me. <laughs> so I'm a part of this culture like I'm not. When you find you're, you're an answer in a crossword puzzle or on Jeopardy or How to Marry a Millionaire, you know you've infiltrated the culture. But I don't care about the spillover. I care about my core my core constituency, if you will. <laughs> the people I want to have hear my stuff. This, this whole thing I'm involved in is called, listen to this, please. Folks, why, look at this. You know, I mean, that's why you know, I, I say if, if people who don't like fans coming up to them shouldn't, do, shouldn't stand up in public and say, please pay attention to me. Because people will do that. So I have my core that I can always count on. And then I, there's a fringe between the core and the non-core that's also interested enough that I can count on. And, and they'll be there. They'll look up minor. They won't have to say, you know, look up motherfucker. Yeah, they look at me, and they know a motherfucker will be there. <laughs> um, the thing about the thing about this that's, that 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 makes it harder to obviously control, radio and television and newspapers and magazines are all advertising mediums first and then there's information that, ki- that keeps your attention and entertainment that keeps your attention in between the messages that's all it's for is to sell things this it doesn't start with that there's advertising on it and it, it doesn't look in the long run like it will it will be much of a, um, a factor in terms of the revenue that people need to get from their sites when they're when they're revenue driven uh, the, it looks like advertising isn't going to be a big part of it uh, as it's currently shaping up. But either way, uh, there'll always be places like mine where it's, it's only about two things, expressing myself as a writer, artist, entertainer, and two, Promoting my general career by mentioning where I'm going to be, or the things I've written before, and where they're available, or can buy them from me, or a shirt yeah. that nobody else has—only on my. It's Advertising driven. It's
1: just yeah. your advertising, right? Yeah, it, it's so <laughs> everything else is just to keep people interested. <laughs> well, no, mine. Yeah, that's true. You see, mine, mine
3: will be content driven, <laughs> yeah. and the advertising is an ornament on the tree. Whereas I think the others are advertising driven, yeah. and the sitcom is the ornament on the tree. Yeah. Um, who did Bob? Bob Cohen, who who uh, is a chairman over at Amy He's like, did he come to you? Did yes. He go to his, he, no. so he, yeah, they they yeah, they found us. Okay. Uh, and um, the the they, what they essentially said was, uh, "Here's a natural place for you to thrive, and here's what we're willing to do for you to get you interested in this." And then basically, there was very little downside for me. Uh, the the. Um, the actual terms of the uh, offer and the agreement uh, were such that there was very little downside for me. So uh, I said, oh, yeah, good. And then I, I happen to be, like, full of ideas and full of stuff in those 1,600 files so that um, I, they got more than they bargained for. Yeah. You know, and, 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 I'm, and I'm really stoked about this. And uh, we're going to put up, we're going to have my page pretty much mirror, my, my independent page, com, pretty much mirror what's on there. So they're almost going to be identical, I think. Uh-huh. And uh, the the link between them, uh, you know, will be there, and uh, then all the other links we can, we can dream up.
1: Is there any concern? And because uh, I mean, eventually, it is about uh, you have to make money to keep the thing yeah. in the business. Yeah. Um, selling you is hard. I would think it, it's easy in a certain sense if you go to a live show or things like that Great. or HBO special. Yeah. That's very easy. Um, but when you start going to advertisers on the net, and if when you go to uh uh, and I can't remember the exact thing, but eventually it gets into the religion right. and some sometimes, sure. <laughs> sometimes sure. priests fuck whatever the kids are. Um, is that going to be hard to sell? Well,
3: I think if they're selling the site, mm-hmm. uh, the overall website called com, they're not selling me solely, mm-hmm. and that would be their problem to to, <laughs> to go to the advertiser with their what, what they think they're offering, yeah. as opposed to purely George Carlin saying, you know, priests fuck little kids, because <laughs> people don't want facts. Um, Um, But in terms, and I'm going to think, because as you were asking the question, I was thinking of little threads of of the answer that I'm, I'm, um, uh, in terms of the advertising, you see that. Oh, part of their revenue will come from selling CDs Mm -hmm. under their own aegis, under their label. And uh, I think that uh, will... uh, that alone, from what I've seen of the business, I can hardly say business model, I can hardly say the word. Uh, that part of that is, um, uh, I, I, my my feeling about this, and I'm and I'm somewhat intuitive, is that this thing can sustain itself financially. Yeah. Between the whatever advertising eventually shapes up as being useful on the net and people who actually buy which mm-hmm. advertisers buy, and uh, and selling hard goods. Uh, I think there's a way. Okay. And I, I don't know what, you know, the yeah. little things I don't know, like uh, we got a secret joke this week for a dollar or something like that. I mean, I'm just making that up yeah. right now. I don't know that, but it seems like there'd be other ways you could devise to have revenue yeah. uh, come off the site. We're sitting here with... you're giving away a lot, you can get some money. Th-
1: know, and that's absolutely true. We're sitting here with George Carlin uh, talking about his new venture, Laugh.com. We'll be back in just a second because I want to talk to you when we come back a little bit about uh, who else is going to be on this and who else is joining us and, and your friends and, and people that are here. Right. Okay, we got to take a break right now. Coming up next is going to be The Seven Dirty Words, a routine that made George Carlin famous. I love words. I thank you for hearing my words. I want to tell you something about words that I, uh, I think is important. I love as I say they're my uh, work, they're my play, they're my passion. Words are all we have, really. You know the seven, don't you, that you can't say on television? Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Huh? <laughs> Those are the heavy seven. Those are the ones that will infect your soul. (laughs) Okay, we're back here on Wired News Radio. I'm Brad King, sitting here with George Carlin, talking about his new venture, Laugh.com. When we went to break, we were about to talk about what other comedians were involved with you on this project.
3: Of the people who, uh, uh, by, of whom we have CDs mm-hmm. that are actually being sold. Let me start with that because I'm just getting conversant with all of this stuff myself, to <laughs> tell you the truth, and it's it's still forming uh, these very days. But uh, the Jerky Boys have a fourth CD they've made for us. Jonathan Winters, Red Buttons, Bill Dana. Now those are older names, of course. John Valby, and then a lot of new comedians. Jeff, well, newish. Jeff Altman, Jeffrey Ross, Bob Zaney, mm-hmm. Ned, pretty Paul, pretty Paul Parsons, Flip Schultz. And um there is a there is a big um there are several contracts that are still in the formative stage, and the last minute look, you know, jots and tittles and things. Um, of major record companies who have people on their labels like Jonathan Winters, Shelley Berman, uh, Buddy Hackett, uh, Alan King. Uh, again, I'm I'm using names now that are older, but there are there there. This will eventually layer out. It yeah. looks to me like this is the plan. There'll be people associated with the era like that, the '50s, older, uh, an older demo. Milton Berle and Red Buttons, Henny Youngwood, etc. Then the 60s is a little more, a little younger than that. That's the New Hearts and the Shelley Berman's and the yeah. of the windows. Then there's my era uh, George Carlin Robert Klein Steve Martin uh, Richard Pryor mm-hmm. these are all things you have to acquire most comedians don't own their own rights I do it was easy to get me because I could just say yeah <laughs> they're on labels and the labels own the rights so there's, there are agreements that some of which are finished some of which are pending which don't seem to be a problem uh, for like whole labels Verve Sony BMG companies that have 10, 15, 20 comedians things that have been overlooked and have been lying dormant. Once you interest some people in some of the things you already have, like Shelley Berman and this and that, then you're able to email them. And by the way, there is a system Bob has set up, and Bob's the dothead, um, whereby no one abuses your email address. Your email address is sacred, and it's only for us to tell you about further stuff we already know you're interested in. So so there's this kind of building a very targeted audience, and comedy has that. There's a loyalty about comedy, and there's, a, there's an era aspect. People who like red buttons are going to be interested in Henny Youngman, probably, and so forth. So as this begins to take shape, and the young ones come on, and, and we're... we're actively looking for the good ones that are very promising and have a lot of bite um, so that we can build that You know, as, as, a, as another layer. Yeah. That is what's happening. Those are some of the names that I told you. I am I know I'm forgetting 20 or 30 names yeah. that Bob would, would reel off for you. <laughs> so forgive my being the new guy on the team, but I just finished turning in. The, here's, a, here's a segue. I just finished turning in my second book, which has preoccupied me for about six months. So So I'm really now just catching up with everything they, they've been doing and we launch on the 26th of March I'm going to be on Letterman I'm going to announce it that night on Letterman and uh, probably have something that'll come on the page that night that the dotheads can can run to and, and go see so, you know people who watch TV and stay on the internet at the same time can go on and- all right. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so uh, th- I'm now very stoked about this, and, and, uh, and I'm just looking forward to what I can do to help the site and my yeah. ideas. Because I've already given them some ideas of people and stuff and features they could do. And then how to get my own stuff on there mo- most efficiently and in a good way. Yeah. And you got a new book, you said, coming book, out? Yeah, the book is called Napalm and Silly Putty. It'll come out the end of April, for sure, the beginning of May. It, the first one sold 700,000. That was called Braindroppings. This is a similar format, short, long medium-sized items, um, sicko, angry, innocent, childlike, wonder, all of the various things that were in the first book. And it's a little longer than the first book, and it's a little funnier.
1: Good. And uh, where can people, I'm assuming, will they be able to go to georgecarlin.com to buy it? Well, first, I mean, Obviously, you can go to a bookstore. First of all, it's all the bookstores, and it's
3: on Amazon.com, okay. and whoever else is uh, .coming book sales too. I'm sure there are some lesser entities yeah. than Amazon. But uh, we're now talking about that. It's a three-way talk between the publishers and and dot ed- um, com and us as to how to 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 sell it on our site too and to LinkedIn and so forth and whatever we have to we'll try mm-hmm. but you have to honor what the other person who's selling the hard yeah. copies in the stores feels and so forth so that'll be a call between my management and, and and the publishers but certainly the aim would be to get it on there and be able to sell it on there.
1: I'd like to thank my guest George Carlin today for joining us to continue the debate on free speech on the internet. Go to www.plastic.com. Thanks again for listening to Wired News Radio. I'm Brad King.
2: Well, there you have it. It's really hard to listen to that interview. It's really hard to listen to the whole thing. Um, we were trying so fucking hard. And you can hear, I can hear, maybe you can't hear, I can hear just the terror <laughs> and um, the sense of being overwhelmed in that interview. I was such a young, a, such a young puppy. Um What am I, 46, 36, so like 27, you know, 26, 27, 28, something like that. But anyway, that is where this all began. Um, And that is where the Downtown Riders Jam podcast, the sort of nugget that sparked this where it came from, and I wish I could go back and redo that interview, right, because I was asking, like, in the beginning, I'm asking him technology questions, which have nothing to do, like, he doesn't give a shit, like, he literally was the face of this thing, like, I knew the business people behind it, um, he was the marketing guy who was the marketing guy, because he's the comedian, right, that the whole fucking planet knows, um, and I'm asking him to explain technology and shit like that, but I don't know, I don't know what was going on in my head, but I wanted to share that with you, because I, as we launch season three, as I start to interview my friends who have had just amazing success in their writing careers, um, it felt like something I wanted to share to sort of talk about where this stuff came from, particularly for young writers and people that are early in their career who, you know, um, it's hard to imagine that you're going to be 17, 20, 25 years into your career and like things are going to be happening. And maybe they will, maybe they won't. Like you may be like my friend Janelle Brown, who was a writer who, you know, in her third book, it blew up, watch me disappear. And we're going to talk in, in, in a, f- a few episodes. Um, you know, she had an amazing journalism career and transitioned into this amazing fiction career. Um, And I had an amazing journalism career and kind of steered left and went in a different direction. But looking back on all of this stuff is so much fun. It's so enjoyable. And it's just a reminder that, like, your career is just a series of things that you continue to do. Um, And even though I have taken a different path than a lot of my friends, uh, I still get to swim in the ocean with them. And I get to hang out and talk with them and read their work and do their things. and, And it's a lot of fun. So, uh, I hope you enjoyed today. It's always helpful, no matter where you're listening to this, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, wherever. If you can leave a review for the podcast, you can sign up for my newsletter. If you go to thebradking.com backslash podcast, you will see a way to sign up for my newsletter and I'll keep you up to date on all of the stuff that I'm doing and all the cool shit that my friends are doing and just things that I think are neat that are in the literary world. I'm at The Brad King on Twitter, The Brad King on Instagram. I feel like you're getting the hang of what this might look like. So, we'll return with writers who are around today in the next episode and until then, I'll see you around the internet. <laughs>